It's time now for Green Visions, a KUMD production to encourage green thinking and green actions. Green Visions is made possible by the Minnesota Power Energy Conservation Program, making progress toward a lower carbon energy future. Well, you may not have heard of an Icelandite coastal fen, but you may have heard about something called a scientific and natural area. We're going to learn a little bit more about both DNR naturalist Erica Priest joins us this morning. morning. Hey, Erica, good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm great. How are you? Are you calling us from the middle of the fen? (laughs) No, not today. I'm not sure that my signal would get through all the way up there. (laughs) Oh, so that's already got a bunch of people making notes. Go to the fen where there is no cell phone signal. What is an Icelandite coastal fen? So Icelandite Coastal Fen is the name of uh, an up-and-coming SNA. It's called Icelandite because that's what the um, underlying bedrock is. So that's where that part of the name comes came from. But uh, a coastal fen, as you can imagine, is near the coast. And specifically, a fen is a, uh, a type of wetland where the only source of water it gets is either from rain or groundwater upwelling into it. So it doesn't have any streams flowing in or out of it, which can um, influence the nutrient levels and all sorts of things going on in there. So there's a lot of unique plants that you can only find in that sort of habitat. Okay. And there's only two coastal fens on, uh, in Minnesota. So that's kind of why we're really interested in this one. All right. Question number one, what coast are we talking about here? Superior. So the North Shore of Superior in Minnesota. So Superior... Isn't an ocean, but it gets to be it, it there. But adjacent areas get to be coastal. I like this. All right, this is yeah. good. Secondly, from having spent some time with my family in farm country, what's the difference between a fen and a slough? You know that one. I'm not because sh- uh, I thought really I remembered Dad always it. talking about how because I think I asked him what's the difference between a slough and a lake and how it didn't have any water coming into it, like a lake would, for example. Maybe it's the part of the state or the part of the surrounding place that you find it in? All right, well, now we know what we have to look up when we get off the air. <laughs> so, I think the flow is more generalized. Okay, sure. Okay, all right. So that's good. That's interesting. Well, you know, the things, it's it's interesting to learn what you know and what you don't know. So tell us a little bit about this particular fin. We know that uh, it is is kept soggy by uh, rain and groundwater. We know that this particular one does not have a great cell signal, and that's wonderful. Uh, it's along the coast of Lake Superior. Why is it interesting and or important? So like I mentioned, fens are pretty fens and bogs are both pretty unique habitats that we have here in northern Minnesota, and there's certain um, that you can only find in these habitats. And this particular one, um, we, there are only two known coastal fens in the state. So it's pretty important um, that there aren't very many. We have more fens inland, but it's not very common to find them along the shore of uh, Lake Superior. 
Tell me a little bit now about, because I have spent a little bit of time, mainly in the winter, which is just dumb, but I've spent a little bit of time in the sack Zimbog. What's the difference between a fen and a bog? So I was always told a, a fen is kind of like a leaky bog. Oh, I love <laughs> a it. Bog, a bog doesn't have that groundwater source. It only receives water from rain. So bogs are, um, tend to be a lot more acidic. And so, again, that plant life is going to be very different, too. But, yeah, they don't have that groundwater coming in. Okay. All right. It is, it's, it's a way of helping us kind of understand by the things we're familiar with. So we try to find out, well, how is it like this that I'm familiar with, or how is it unlike this that I'm familiar with? So the, um, who, owned this, who owned this little chunk of land before it was acquired by the DNR? And I, you think about the DNR as being very grown up, very politically involved in some instances. And I like to think that the naturalists did kind of a happy dance when somebody showed up and said, hey, look at the land that we just got. Yeah, and so technically it's not, uh, the DNR does not currently own it yet. It is still in the process. So the current owner is the uh, Department, Minnesota Department of Transportation currently owns it and is going to be, right now we're in the process of um, buying it from them. The, it got in the news recently because part of the process we had to get county board approval and um, we, we, got, we received that. The county, Cook County is very um, supportive of this. And so that decision is kind of what spurred Isendite Coastal Fen into um, into the media, into people's Facebook pages, that sort of thing. Well, it's it's fantastic, and I love the way that um, when it gets the facts right, that social media can get people excited about something new like this, because there are going to be plenty of folks that will eventually, uh, I hope, if if it's open to such a thing, want to maybe take a trip there, maybe check it out a little bit, learn a little bit more about it for themselves. Um, so this is also a scientific natural area. Uh, what does that designation mean? So scientific and natural areas um, were established to pr- protect and perpetuate in an undisturbed natural state those natural features which possess exceptional scientific or educational value. Essentially, SNAs are like nature preserves that protect some of Minnesota's most unique and extraordinary natural features. Um, SNAs, because we like, you know, government organizations, we like acronyms. <laughs> right. SNAs is the highest level of state protected land. Oh, wow. So it's not, it's not going to be a, a natural area that you could wander on and do a little hunting on. This is no, no, no. It's, it's not this one. Right. Okay. Is it going to be open to the public? I mean, once folks find out about it, do they get a chance to go or in an, you know, it would be hard to be an undisturbed area if you had a bunch of people tromping through it regularly. So SNAs are open to the public, with a few exceptions of some um, that are closed off for special reasons. SNAs in general are always open to the public. However, of state lands, they do usually have the highest uh, number of rules and what you are and aren't allowed to do at them. So this doesn't mean you're more than welcome to come visit it and walk around and look at it. We do ask that you, you know, walk softly and follow, leave no trace principles. Um, we love people who share photos when they visit the SNAs. Um, 
and all that. The only exception to this particular scientific and natural area is the one unique thing is the Superior Hiking Trail does go through it. So where the trail goes through it, we do allow for um, dogs on leash to follow Superior Hiking Trail rules. But other than that, for the most part, when you come and visit it, we like uh, we ask that you just take pictures and leave everything else as you found it. Right. Now, any, everyone uh, who's ever heard me on the air knows that I'm a big dog fan and I have a bunch Uh, But I also know that they are not appropriate everywhere, and they can have, you know, not not necessarily all the effects that you want. You know, I mean, sometimes they're kind of like obstreperous small children. Uh, They don't have any understanding of this is protected habitat or this is a protected species. It's, can I jump on it? Can I roll in it? Can I? Yeah. So they, they are lovely things. Dogs are our hearts, but they don't belong everywhere. And sometimes you just got to put them in a front pack and cart them along with you. So <laughs> is there a sense of when this, uh, this area, when, I suppose the sale needs to be final, but is there a sense of when people might be able to come through and, and uh, do a little bit of photography and enjoy the, enjoy the fin? Is it going to be perhaps ready to go next spring? So it is still, even as um, MnDOT property, it is open to the public even now. Um, but we are hoping sometime next year when all of the, you know, T's are crossed and I's are dot, dotted, right. um, it becoming an SNA. And we are planning, once we have an, a better idea of a date, we will be putting on our calendars a some sort of open house or unveiling um, event to celebrate it becoming an SNA. Oh, wonderful. That sounds exciting. Anything that people want to do about putting parties and get-togethers on the calendar, I think for the most part that sounds like, especially something that involves being outdoors, that sounds like a lot of fun. Erica, thank you so much for taking some time this morning. Um, And you and I will be in a race to see who can uh, discover the difference between a fen and a slough first. (laughs) Because now I'm dying to know. And thank you so very, very much for being our guest. And congratulations, this Icelandite coastal fen. That is going to be so neat. I can't wait to visit it. Thanks again for being the guest. Yeah, of course. Thanks for talking with me. Erica Priest joined us this morning. She's a DNR naturalist, and she joined us this morning to talk about the new Icelandite coastal fen. It is being transferred from the DOT to the DNR right now. It is still open to the public, and the Superior Hiking Trail goes through it. But keep your dogs on the leash. Be respectful. Take pictures and leave no trace. That's kind of the bywords there for the fin. Green Visions on KUMD is made possible with support from Heritage Window and Door, the Duluth Superior Supplier for Renewal by Anderson Windows and Doors, and from the Minnesota Power Energy Conservation Program, making progress toward a lower carbon energy future.